who are visiting with us this morning, we certainly want to thank you so very much for making the time to come out to be a part of this tremendous assembly. If this is your first time being with the Delray Church of Christ, I kind of know how you feel. I'm sure that you have been overwhelmed with the welcome that you have received, and I just want to tell you that it's genuine. I sincerely hope and trust that you have brought your Bible, that you are willing to open up that Bible and study with us this morning as we make sure that our lives and our souls are aligned with the Word and the will of God. And I just want to make one quick uh, statement to the elders and to Doug and to uh, all of you who have been responsible for rolling out the red carpet for me and my wife again. Um, I know you can only have your membership at one congregation at a time. But I'm here to tell you, y'all are just spoiling me rotten. And uh, we sincerely uh, consider it an honor and a privilege to be here with you and uh, to be partnered with you in saving souls and speaking a kind word for Jesus and doing what we can while we can to honor him in all that we say, do, and think. If you were listening intently to the scripture reading earlier, you will notice that someone in the crowd who was probably overwhelmed uh, with the notion of Jesus being there and being caught up in the moment said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. See, that's what happens when a person puts their mouth in gear before their brain is engaged. I want you to know this morning that it takes courage. It takes conviction to be a New Testament Christian. You just don't fall into the New Testament church without studying your Bible, without praying, without fasting, without having someone guide you so that you can make an informed decision about where you want to spend an eternity. Now, I know that the National Ad Council has told y'all to worship at the church of your choice. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you need to worship at the church of Jesus's choice. And I want to be a part of the church that Jesus built, according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 and following. It does make a difference where you worship, as you and I are going to learn in our Bible class, in our Bible story this morning. So when I think about that individual that just said, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere, and Jesus had to put him right in his place. And we even have members of the church this morning who have said, you know, I'll follow Jesus everywhere. You know, what, where he leads me, I'll follow. You know, we have to be careful about some of these songs we sing, y'all. Because as you're about to find out, when you have to pass through Samaria, we have a lot of people who stand right on the border. But they're not willing to go into Samaria. But if you choose to follow Jesus, you have to pass through Samaria. So I do invite your Intention, attention this morning to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And because the power is found in the Word, I'm going to read this chapter, give you some observations from the chapter, and we'll extend heaven's invitation. We'll order in this afternoon. We'll be here for a while. 
I'm in John chapter 4. Would like to start reading there at verse number 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he went to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, get away from me. Don't you know we're not supposed to be having a relationship with each other? Don't you know who I am and I don't have anything to do with you? Don't even touch me. Is that what your Bible says? Look again. Is that what your Bible says? But that's how some people live, as you'll find before the end of our Bible story this morning. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy bread. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Since I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I'll not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to drink. He said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, 
I who speak to you am he. Now, I know it's not in the text, but I bet, I bet that she just drew a breath like she'd never drawn a breath in her life. At that very moment, when Jesus said what he said to her. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Leave it up to the guys. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to him, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. May God always bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and divine word. I could jump out of my skin right now, but I might scare some of you. This, this Bible is so full of wonderful, powerful things that sometimes you read it and sometimes you see what Jesus is doing in the lives of people. And I just get, I just get goosebumps on top of goosebumps. I just don't see why people don't get so excited and so thrilled to be able to read his word. Some people get more excited looking at Oprah than they do reading their Bible. Some people get more excited about looking at the young and the restless and all of this other junk that's out there. And yet you and I have right in front of us The holy, divine word of God. And many times it sits throughout our house collecting dust. And we're never able to connect with the Christ that's introduced in this book. When you have to pass through Samaria, you don't leave Jesus by himself and just go off and get something to eat. I've often wondered why no disciple decided to say, well, you know, Lord, I think I'll hang out with you because I don't want you by yourself. And 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 we'll let some of these guys go and and we'll just kind of talk. 
They all went to get something to eat. They just left Jesus. Let me share some observations that I've made from the text, and then the message will be yours. Here's my first observation that comes from studying the first six verses. Divine necessity overrules human customs and comfort zones. Divine necessity overrules human customs and comfort zones. You see, the disciples probably told Jesus, well, you know, we need to do what the good Jews do. We need to go an extra four days and then, you know, we can go around Samaria and and we can make sure that we don't contaminate ourselves. Jesus, that's what we need to do. Obviously, Jesus didn't get that memo. Jesus knew that the Jesus knew that the best way to accomplish the Father's mission was to actually go through Samaria. He knew that the shortest distance between two spiritual points was a straight line. And that straight line was to take them where they did not want to go. That's why I'm so grateful that Luke chapter 9 verses 57 to 62 is on record. See, it's real easy to say, oh, I want to be with Jesus. And oh, I want to be a Christian. And oh, I want to hang out with the Lord. And Jesus says, okay, let's go this way. And then we say, I ain't going over there. It's railroad tracks over there, Jesus. We can't cross those railroad tracks. We need to stay on this side. The long-standing hostility and animosity was not a good reason to change directions. See, Jesus didn't get the memo that Jews were not supposed to interact with Samaritans. Aren't you grateful that he hadn't gotten that memo? Maybe it's a good thing that no disciples stayed back with Jesus because I'm sure they would have had to have been resuscitated once Jesus spoke to someone that no one should have been able to speak to, especially if you were a Jew. Have you ever felt a moral obligation to do something, but you opted out because of pressure and fear? Have you ever known that you should have said something That you should have stood up, but you kept your mouth closed because of the pressure around you. Young people, have you ever heard anyone use the precious name of Jesus in vain the way that they love to? You had an opportunity to create a teachable moment, but you thought, well, you know, I this is really not the time nor the place. I'm sure that we've all been there. I'm sure that there are times when we should have said or should have done something to step up to the line because we wanted to stand for the truth. But somehow or another, we just didn't have the courage or the will to do so. Are you personally committed this morning to see the needs of the world through the eyes of Jesus? Because if you are, then you will take that walk with him through Samaria. Verses 7 to 9 teach me this concept. I need to learn that knowing what to say 
is just as, as important as what not to say. Why did Jesus speak to this woman? He cared for her spiritual well-being. He wanted her to know that you can't always judge a book by its cover. He knew that she needed God's love and to be freed from the chains that bound her. That's why he spoke to her. And when you and I are wondering if we should speak a kind word for Jesus, if you and I are wondering if we should ever cross the line and take Christ where he's never been before, I hope that you'll remember this story. Because I'm telling you this morning that when you have to pass through Samaria, you'll learn all kinds of things about yourself. And you'll learn all kinds of things about the people sometimes who walk with you. Why don't we follow Jesus' lead? Because many times we can't get past our own prejudices and our own biases. We are afraid of what may happen. We have become conditioned to believe that it won't do any good. You ever been there? There's no sense in talking to that person. I mean, they run the street. They're ungodly. Why should I talk to them? Well, because somebody talked to you when you were ungodly. You hadn't always had your halo, have you? See, that's what I find fascinating in the church is if you want to see people who've never sinned, just come on into some of our congregations because they're up in there. And sometimes when people, people's hearts and lives are broken and they make a response to the gospel. And then we have some of the Pharisees who sit in the back and make notes and say, well, I want to know what the dirty rascal done. Because I saw him out last Friday night at the club. Well, how you know they was at the club? Because I heard, you know, somebody told me, no, no, because you was up in there with them. That's why. I'm talking about other people. I'm talking about what goes on in Florida. Because I know y'all don't live this way in Alabama. I'm talking about the problems we have back home. That's how some of the church folk act. Like they've never sinned before. Like they've never struggled before. You see someone wrestling and wanting to come to Jesus. And then when they finally come down here. They just die on the vine. Because nobody's interested in hugging them. And helping to put them back together again. I'm grateful y'all don't behave that way because I know how you behave here. But I'm just saying, brothers and sisters, we still have a disconnect in some of our congregations. We sometimes believe that this is an exercise in futility and I just need to hold the party line. I've got so many points here. I, I know I'm not going to be able to make all of these. So let me, let me see if I can just hit on a couple of these and then move to my closure. Here's the third observation, verses 10 to 15. When you follow Jesus through Samaria, you learn to obey your thirst. Jesus challenged the Samaritan woman to think and to reason on a higher plane. She came to the well from a, for a ho-hum trip that ended up changing her entire life. She really came to the well and she was thirsty for a relationship that had meaning, but she, did really, she really didn't know where she was going to find it. 
And I think the lesson, one of the many lessons for me is I need to get my eyes open. I need to be paying attention to what's going on around me. When my wife and I pulled into the uh, hotel yesterday, I missed a great opportunity because a guy came up to me and I thought he was from uh, here at Delrada, but, but I, don't think he, I don't think he was. But, it's, but he, as he was passing me, he said, wow, the myth, the man, the legend. And I said, yes, that would be me, you know. And uh, so we went up to our room and my wife said, did you see that limo that was downstairs? I don't know who was in the limo, but it was long enough, two or three streets long. So there was some big wig and this guy thought that I was him. Man, see, I missed it. <laughs> missed a great opportunity right there. Of course, I don't know what myth, man, legend he was talking about. I, I should have said, and how do you know me, sir? You know, we always have to be, we have to be looking for uh, an inroads. We have to be looking for a way to start a conversation. And we need to fix the frown on our faces. Because some of us do look like we've been baptized in vinegar and weaned on a sour pickle. We do look like we've been deeply immersed in formaldehyde. You know, I mean, we're just not we're just not going to smile about anything. So we just sit there and we, you know, I dare you to make me love Jesus. You know, I mean, it's so pathetic. And it turns people off. And I'm grateful that Jesus used an opportunity to make one statement that ended up changing that woman's life forever. This woman was thirsty, as I aforementioned. She was thirsty for a relationship. She was thirsty for acceptance. Anytime a woman went to the well at high noon to get water, she wasn't a socialite, y'all. She went to the well when she went to the well because that's when those kinds of people go to the well. They have to go by themselves. No one stood with them. No one embraced them. No one loved them. That's why the woman was all by herself. She was thirsty for acceptance and really didn't know how to attain it. She was thirsty for ascertaining and understanding the value of her soul. And she didn't even know who to ask or who to seek guidance from. I've often wondered how she felt when she got up that morning. I'm sure she felt just like she did on several other occasions. Well, yes, I just have to go get some water. You know, when I know nobody's around and nobody's going to pick at me, nobody's going to say anything about me. And she just went down like she normally would. Until she met our Savior. From Galilee. She was thirsty for God. And she didn't even know it. Those of you who are visiting with us this morning and you came with uh, with a colleague or you came with a family member. Perhaps you walked through the door this morning thirsty for God. Maybe you're tired of all of the Garbage that you hear when you turn on your television on Sunday, because I know I am. Send me $1,500 and I'll send you a prayer cloth and I'll pray for you. And I'm thinking, what? You've got to be kidding me. And people actually buy into that? I think people are looking for what the word of God says in its context. I think that people are looking for someone to tell them the truth. Don't you? 
I think that people want straight answers from the scripture. And if you don't give them a straight answer from the scripture, you're not doing them any favors. That's why I'm so troubled by people who say, well, you know, just pray Jesus into your heart. I mean, whatever you want to do, whatever you feel, just, you know, God is there. That's not Bible. That's Babel. You can't even find that in scripture. Even if a person gets upset when they find out that there is a distinctive pattern within the New, within New Testament Christianity and that it does matter how you obey the scripture, even if they get upset, I think they walk away saying, you know what, at least they showed me what the Bible said. And I could make up my own mind. I think that people walk through these doors here, people walk through the doors in Jacksonville, want to know somebody. Please tell me, what does God's word say? Can you share with me? Can you just point me to what it says and what it teaches? Here this woman was thirsty for God. And we can at least thank God on this occasion that the son of man was there to meet her need. In Matthew chapter five and verse six, the scripture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Love that. And these disciples, they were really no different from the Samaritan woman. And I guess what I find in them is what I find in a lot of members of the Lord's church. Because they remained at the borders of Samaria in their heart. But they ate the food from the hands of the Samaritans. Now how dumb is that? You don't want to have anything to do with these people. You don't want to have a relationship with them, but you'll go and buy food from them and you'll eat it. They were drowning in their prejudice. They were drowning in their hatred and in their anger, and they still couldn't release themselves to follow Jesus. I mentioned to you guys several years ago that When I really fell in love with the song, I've decided to follow Jesus, I knew that that would be the song that I would always have sung any time I got a chance to preach the word of God. Because it's the greatest decision that I've ever made. And it's not a decision that you just make when you sing at the end of a presentation. It's a song that you live. It's a song that is lived out daily. Because you do have to decide to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. Even the disciples were thirsty for God's understanding and insight. And yet they failed to confer with Jesus about it. They were thirsty for opportunities to grow and to change for the better. And there the solution was right under their nose. Here's the fourth observation from verses 16 to 18. When you pass through Samaria, you'll learn that God can turn your secrets into successes. When my wife and I do uh, marriage retreats and marriage workshops, I tell guys that one of the dumbest things that you can ever do is try to cheat on your wife. 
because it doesn't work. Because women are too smart. They've got these antennae that come up out of their head. And they have these eyes where they can actually see behind them. And when I'm in the bedroom, wrestling and rummaging through drawers, my wife will say, it's in the third drawer on the right-hand side. You know. And how did she know that? And so here is a guy who thinks that he's going to cheat on his wife. It makes no sense at all. Because women are too smart, they're too intelligent, and they, they find these things out. And then people go through lives and they think that they can keep their secrets from God who sees all and knows all. One last story about Nashville and then I'm through with Nashville. But I remember uh, a guy telling me one time, he says, you know, uh, I, I think you're prejudiced. And, and instead of me laughing because I, it was the most hilarious thing that I'd ever heard. But because he had such a serious look on his face, and, and I said, and, and would you please um, marshal the evidence before us that would demonstrate my prejudice? And 25 minutes into the conversation, brothers and sisters, it wasn't my prejudice that he wanted to talk about. It was his. Well, what do you do? What do you, you pick up the Bible and you beat him over the head and say, you shouldn't have called me prejudice. You know, is that what you do? It's not what you do. You, 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 you cry with the person who reaches that kind of conclusion. Don't you? I mean, all of these things have been pent up in his heart. And he said, every time you came to our congregation, it literally made me sick on my stomach. I said, well, why is that? Well, you had acid indigestion or something? I mean, what? What? What did I do? Well, it's just the way you preach and you're just so loud. I said, I, I know I'm loud. You know, I, I, I understand that. I know I'm loud. And you're just so, you're just so. I said, yeah, I know. But get to the point. And then when he started telling me what the real issues were. And I said, and you've been taking the Lord's Supper feeling that way? See, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, you can eat and drink Damnation to your. It's very, very dangerous. And I thank God for that night because we had a spiritual breakthrough. But only those conversations can happen when people truly want to come together and open themselves up as long as we do it within the context of God's word. One of the greatest evenings I've ever had. And I'm sure that brother feels the same way, that those secrets that he was holding and hoarding in his heart, that God was able to take those secrets and turn them into successes. And when Jesus asked the woman at the well to go tell your husband, it didn't even dawn on her what Jesus was doing. And that's why she said, well, I I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yep. You're exactly right. You've had five and you're shacking up with somebody right now. You ever known anyone with the spiritual insight that could do that with you when you were talking to them and you tried to avoid them at all cost? Because they could look right into your eyes and ask you, how are you doing, Bill? Oh, I'm doing fine. And I wasn't doing fine because they knew me that well.
Those are the kinds of relationships that we need, brothers and sisters. We need people in our lives who will tell us the truth. We need relationships of responsibility. People who have fallen in love with Jesus and who want the best for us and they want the best for their families. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10, Paul says that we're going to give an account for everything that we have done in the body, whether good or bad. That includes what we thought about. We can't escape the eyes of God. 139th Psalm, verses 7 through 12. Why do we live and act as if God doesn't know what we do and intend to do? Why do we attempt to hide our true selves from each other? How many skeletons do you and I have in our closets? But this morning, we all should thank God for his mercy and his grace. The one thing that we do say at Arlington is that there is no shame in Jesus. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful to know this morning that those of you who will be touched by the word of God, those of you who will want these elders to take your name to God's throne in prayer and ask that you be strengthened, aren't you grateful to know that these elders can get a prayer through for you? Let me tell you, man, there's, there's nothing like someone praying for you. Do you hear me? There's nothing like it. We just need to remember that we haven't always been saved. And all of us truly need God's grace and his mercy. Well, here's my fifth point, and I'm almost done. When you pass through Samaria, you learn that worship is what God says it is. That's verses 19 to 24. Jesus told her that he told her the truth about her improper worship. And did you notice that she didn't storm off in a fit of rage? You notice that she didn't say, well, you hurt my feelings. That had nothing to do with it. When a person is looking for the truth, when a person is honest and upright and want to do what God wants them to do, and they want to be what God wants them to be, when they hear the truth, they will respond. That's why that woman didn't go running off until she left at the appropriate time. And when she did go, she told everybody, y'all need to come in here from Jesus yourself. Sometimes people are, as I said earlier, more concerned about being entertained than learning the word of God. And then the sixth observation, verses 31 to 38, when you pass through Samaria, you learn the difference between junk food and soul food. You see, the disciples were bloated on a diet of physical, material oriented things and when they came back from grocery shopping the only thing that was on their mind was Jesus you need to eat nobody even asked him Lord why are you talking to this woman 
What in the world is going on? What are you doing? What about the tradition? No one had the nerve to even bring it up. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, there are issues that need to be put on the table so the word of God can shine its light on it. And you and I can finally get the truth like we try to do in our Bible study this morning. And I hope, trust, and pray that many of you will take those passages of Scripture and that you will go in your prayer closet and that you will continue to read and study and ask yourself, are you being a conduit of blessing for Jesus? Is Delreda being a conduit of blessing for Jesus in this city? Because I'm here to tell you, Montgomery needs y'all. You hear me? They were carnal-minded, talking about these disciples, and they, they had to be chided for not seeking spiritual wisdom and insight. And I have to ask myself, what am I feasting upon? Am I truly feasting upon the Word of God? You know, we have some congregations where the membership can't even get past a 20-minute sermon. Did y'all know that? Because I've been told... By some of these elders. When I go visit, uh, Brother Davis, we, we, we heard that you're long-winded, but uh, you won't be long-winded up in here. I said, well, then you need to go get somebody else. Oh, no, no, no. We want you to. I said, you don't, but you don't want me to come. I've got 20-minute introductions, not 20-minute sermons. Come on. But it's our, it's our spiritual... It's, it's our lack of spiritual fortitude, brothers and sisters. Now, we can go to the 3D movie and we can sit there for three hours and not even go to the bathroom. And yet we come into the assembly of the Lord and our kids are just, they're just like toasters. They're just up and down and up and down. And God, go to the bathroom. I mean, we just can't, we can't sit still. And then somebody will tell me in the back, well, you know, Brother Davis, this is the worship hour, not worship hour and a half. When back in the 50s and 60s, I remember gospel meetings that went for weeks. And preachers preached until they got tired. And that wasn't until about two hours. And I remember my mom telling me, if you move a muscle, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And y'all thought Bill Cosby was the one that said, you know, came up with it. I brought you in the world. I'll take it. My mama said that 30 years before Bill Cosby was ever born. I mean, the brothers and sisters from the 50s and 60s were hardy people. They didn't have padded pews. They had hard pews. And I mean, they stayed. They stayed because they loved God and they loved his word. Then we got air conditioning. Then we got recessed lighting. And then the next thing you know, we got people sleeping up in here because we're showing movies and we're doing all kinds of things. May God help us to understand the difference between junk food and soul food. When God's table is spread on Sunday morning for Bible class at Arlington, you can shoot a cannon through our building and not hit anybody. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to the worship hour, we got people just pouring through the doors. And I'm saying, well, where you been? Well, you know, Brother Davis, I had a long week and I'm tired. 
Yeah, you tired, all right. Bet you're not tired Monday morning at 7 o'clock when you're ding, punching that clock. Oh, I got to pay my bill, man. I, I just bought me a 62-inch television. I got this. Okay. okay. I just want to know where Jesus fits in all that. May God help us to learn the difference between junk food and soul food. We still have people in Florida who have forgotten that Sunday evening is still a part of the Lord's day. I know y'all don't have that problem here in Alabama, but we do in Florida. See, people actually think that Sunday afternoon is for the NFL and for whatever else they want to do. I didn't get an amen on that one. Roll tight. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to throw that out there. You know, I've been wanting to say that the whole time I've been here. Some of us are spiritually anorexic and we're spiritually bulimic. We're failing to feast on Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Many people, unfortunately, are still at the borders of Samaria. They want to know Jesus, but they're afraid to trust him. And they must learn that it's all or nothing. Because real soul food begins and ends with Jesus. And my last point that I'll make to you this morning is that when you have to pass through Samaria, you learn there is room for everyone in the Lord's church. Now I know that uh, some of you probably thought that I didn't say what I just said, but I really did say what I just said. And somebody says, well, are you saying that there's room in the church for homosexuals? No, kid. What's your mama's name? Who is that child? Who is that child? Bring that child up here, you know. (laughs) I I love that kid. Boy, well, he was trying to say amen or whatever. That's okay. Well, you're saying there's room in the church for homosexuals. Well, if you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you already know the answer. Because in Corinth, there were homosexuals. But they gave that lifestyle up when they followed Jesus. You can't stay the way you are and follow Jesus. Just like this woman here. Do y'all think for one minute that night she went home and shacked up with the same guy she had been shacking up with? What do you think? I bet that woman went home and said, Joe, you got to go. You got to get up out of here. That's what happens when you contact Jesus. That's what happens when you want to be a New Testament Christian. And it doesn't matter what anybody says in your family. You hear me? I know some of you sitting here this morning have had your own family members have turned their back on you because you became a New Testament Christian. And they told you there's Christians in all churches and and who do those people think they are and you're a part of a cult. You've probably heard all of that. Well, let me tell you something. Until someone shows me differently, Jesus only built one church, y'all. And upon that rock, you can't build your church. Amen, lights and walls. When Jesus confronts a life, 
the life changes. See, when you used to hate folk, when you met Jesus, you stopped hating people. You can't bring your hate up in the Lord's church. You're going to bust hell wide open. You can't do that. And somebody says, well, who you think you're talking to? Read the Bible. If a guy has been beating on his wife, treating her like a second-class citizen, when he meets Jesus, he stops doing that. Amen. When a woman who has been castigating her husband, he can never do anything right. And you can't do this and you can't do that. Nag, nag, nag. When you meet Jesus, you stop all of that. And she says, well, I'm not nagging. I'm just encouraging. I don't care what you call it. You're still wrong. When you meet Jesus and when you pass through Samaria. Let me tell you something. That woman, the reason why she went back and talked to the men was because they knew her. I thank God she went back and talked to them. I wonder how many of them were shaking in their boots. Yeah, I'm calling all of y'all out. Come meet a man who told me all the things that I've done. Could this be the Christ? How do you think they felt about that? Don't tell, don't tell them what we did. It was too late. See, that's what happens when you meet Jesus. You don't care what anybody else thinks. You want to honor him. And as I bring this message to a close this morning, I beg you this morning to become a New Testament Christian. I'm not inviting you to a social club. I'm not inviting you to a place where you can come and hang out so people can see who you are and and know who you are. That's, That's not what the Lord's church is all about. The Lord's church are chosen people. They are peculiar people. There are people for God's own possession. The only thing that matters to them is honoring Jesus, not themselves. Somebody says, well, y'all got a bunch of hypocrites down there at Del Rado. Well, come on in here and join them. Or come on in here and show them how to live. But don't stand on the outside and point fingers. It takes strength and courage to be a Christian. You hear me? It does. It takes strength and it takes courage to say, I haven't been living right, but from this day forward, I am going to live right. Would you be willing this morning to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Would you be willing this morning to repent, to turn, to literally turn from the way that you've been living and thinking and acting and direct your heart and your mind and your focus on the cross and say, I don't care what people say. I am going to follow Jesus if it's the last thing I do. See, I know what happens when we get to this portion of the service. People start grabbing songbooks and, you know, people start saying, man, I sure am glad he's done because I'm hungry, you know. That's what the devil wants. These elders didn't invite me to come all the way from Jacksonville to not extend heaven's invitation. You hear me? This is too important. Your soul is too important and so is mine. Are you then willing to not only hear and to believe and repent? Are you willing to confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth to actually say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ? the son of the living God. Are you, are you strong enough to say that this morning? And then allow your body to be buried in water 
for the forgiveness of your sin. Now, I know, I know T.D. Jakes and, and Billy Graham and all the rest of them, you know, they're not down with that. Let me tell you something. If it's in the Bible, I'm down with it. And Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, let's turn over and read that. See, I get tired of people coming up to me saying, well, my pastor said I don't need to be baptized. Let me tell you something. You better, you better get behind what the Bible says and not your pastor. I'm going to be here a little bit later, uh, later on this afternoon. You go home and tell your pastor what I said. It's just that serious to me. Because your pastor doesn't have anything that's outside the bounds of scripture. Do you hear me? And especially if Jesus himself has said it. Let me turn over here and read this before I get excited and and go 15 more minutes. I'm just kidding. Where's that kid that said yes? I bet he just said no, no. I love that child. What's that baby's name? Is that that her right there? That's not her? Oh, she's already left the building. (laughs) Man, don't point my child out. That guy might say something. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. See, people will tell you in the world, well, you know, just believe in your heart. Show me the, show me the scripture. I know what Romans 10, 9, and 10 teaches. I know what that says. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, not into salvation. If you want to get into Christ, you got to be baptized into him. Don't you let people play games with your soul, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Don't do that. But you know, this message has really been for those of us who are in the body of Christ. I love these children, man. This is great. For those of us who are in the body of Christ, and you already know this morning, if you haven't been giving Jesus your all. I'm very, very concerned that people who live a nominal Christian life actually think they're going to heaven. They're not. Jesus wants our best. Have you been giving him your best? I bet on your job you give your best. I'm getting a 15% raise. Why? Because I'm an outstanding performer. Well, what will these elders say about your service here at Delrada? I don't even know who the elders are. Well, there's your answer. Serving Jesus is a lot more important than our jobs, brothers and sisters. And so I'm just telling all of us, I've already confessed, okay? I have. I've already asked God to help me to do better. That's the only reason why I can talk like this. But brother or sister, if you know this morning that you haven't been leading your family to the cross and to Jesus, you need to come down here and join me on this front row. This is the celebration row, y'all. It's what it's all about. Today you draw a line in the sand because God owns the beach and you tell him, Father, would you please help me to do better? It's what it's all about. I told you, I've met people. I've been a Christian for 40 years and I've never asked for prayers. I wouldn't even say that out public. I wouldn't even mention that to anybody. It's a shame before God. That's why you have elders. That's why you have faithful people to pray with you and pray for you. 
I beg you this morning, if you're subject to the invitation, you come to Jesus. And don't you let anything or anyone stop you from responding to the Lord's invitation while together we stand and sing.